Welcome back, KPL listeners. The 2020 census will be over soon, and with that in mind, we've invited Dan Brower to come by and talk to us about the importance of the census and give us an idea of what boots-on-the-ground census workers' life is like during this time. It's not all just about civics. Local author Laura Miller is joining us, and she's going to discuss her latest book, The Dream. And not only that, Jagisha and I are going to have a little discussion about Jane Austen. So it's sure to be a fantastic episode. Stay tuned, Kirkwood. On this week's KPL Civic segment, Jagisha and I are turning our attention towards the 2020 census. So we've asked the Assistant Director of the Cass County Public Library, Dan Brower, to join us today to do just that. Apart from having over a decade of public library work experience, Dan also moonlights as a census enumerator to help get every person counted for the 2020 census. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here and talk about the census. Definitely a very important subject. Can you give us a, just a little bit of a, or an overview of the census? Sure. So the census is done every 10 years. It is actually mandated by the U.S. Constitution uh, that um, the, the government counts every person, citizen or non-citizen, in the country. Um, it has happened every 10 years since 1790. We tried to get everyone counted that we can, uh, and that funding inform or that that count informs funding for schools, infrastructure, hospitals, roads, bridges, a lot of other uh, population-based uh, funds. Um, so it's important that we get an accurate count so that the federal government knows how to apportion that money to each state and then subsequently each uh, individual community. So. If there's new apartment complexes that sprung up in the last 10 years, they know that they will need more funding to support that uh, sewage and water infrastructure, along with uh, roads, of course, because you have to get there. All very vital and important things for a functioning society. Yeah, and um, another important thing that a lot of people don't realize with the census is it actually informs Congress on how to redistrict our country and our state. In the past two censuses, Missouri has actually lost representation in Congress. Uh, over the, from the last two censuses, Missouri has lost a total of three congressional seats. So we've lost an amount of representation in Congress. So that happens nationwide uh, every 10 years. Wow, it's extremely important that we all get counted. Yes. So how did you become a census worker? How did that come about? Well, <laughs> so uh, my library just passed a tax levy increase, which again is vital to the library. But the election was going to be in April, and I saw that the census needed workers. So it was kind of a twofold idea. I was thinking, man, the census is important. I want to help everyone get counted. But at the same time, I figured I could get out in the community and actually get to know people in my county that I may not see in the library. Uh, so I applied in like October and uh, I didn't hear back till April. And by that time, the election had already been moved back to June. Uh, they did a quick phone interview and they looked over all my stuff. And I mean, it was a pretty quick process. I think they just they did a background check on me and did fingerprints. They wanted to make sure there were no red flags. Um, but that's kind of how it did. I, how I did it. I kind of have this dedication to public service and I wanted to get to know the people and it just worked out that way. So you have experience as a uh, door-to-door -door census worker. 
what should our listeners expect if they are visited by one of the friendly census takers? All right. Well, I'm friendly. No, everyone should be friendly. Um, <laughs> uh, so, As they're meant to be. <laughs> yes. If someone comes to a person's store, it is for one of two reasons. The first reason being that they either have not completed the uh, questionnaire online or, or by mail, or they uh, didn't complete it. Com they didn't respond completely to all the questions. Uh, the second reason is even if they have completed the census questionnaire, um, census takers, enumerators, we um, are tasked with the opportunity to speak with uh, neighbors that may know some basic information. So if uh, if you have completed the census and someone stops by your door, they may say, hi, my name is Dan. I'm with the Census Bureau. We've been trying to contact your neighbor at whatever, whatever. Um, would you be able to answer some very basic questions? Your responses are confidential about them. In that case, if they know information, just basic stuff like how many people live there, approximate ages, um, that's great. If they don't know anything, they can say, I'm sorry, I don't know anything. And the, we'll mark it in our system. I've got a handy dandy app that we use and uh, no one else will stop by for that uh, what's called a proxy attempt. Well, I can speak to the truth of that. Just two days ago, I had a census enumerator knock on my door and had a question as to uh, if the apartment nearby was occupied. It's important that we get everyone counted and um, it's they're very simple. They're very basic questions. We usually ask we ask the number of people who are living there, but we also ask names, and that's so we don't count people twice. We also ask sex, age, and race. If people are uncomfortable giving their dates to birth, we can accept just an age. Um, and that, again, goes to funding for schools, health care, etc. And a, a lot of people have issue answering race or Hispanic origin, and I can understand that. That, that seems to cross that boundary into personal information. And that is to take demographics so that the uh, government can check to see if there's uh, civil rights violations and to track anti-discrimination uh, laws and uh, offenses. So it's all it's all for the good. And everything is completely confidential. And in fact, uh, the Census Bureau is exempt from Freedom of, Informa Freedom of Information Act. So even if you filed a request, you would get the, the closest you would get would be a list of anonymized data that you can't track back to any single person. That's very interesting. How would one identify a census worker? Okay, so they uh, will have a lanyard that says U.S. Census Bureau, and it has a badge with a photo ID, um, and it has an expiration date and a badge number, and it has a seal of the U.S. Department of Commerce. It's got a little shield on it with a book and lantern and feathers if they want to really, really examine it. Uh, they will also be carrying a device. I have a government issued smartphone and they will some of them will have a clipboard and some of them will also have a, a messenger bag that says U.S. Census Bureau in blue letters on a white background. And we are required to wear masks, so they will be wearing a mask, too. If they're not, well, I can't control what everyone does, but I always wear a mask. I always try to wear a plain black mask. Usually just plain clothes, plain collared shirt, so that I'm not, I don't have any wild uh, written things on my shirt. That kind of feeds into our next question. I imagine that COVID-19 has had more than a considerable impact about how the census goes door to door and interacts with uh, households. 
what precautions are in play? What safety is, is being taken? Well, quite a few. Like I said, we all wear masks. Each one of us has a uh, bottle of hand sanitizer, which I've I'm on my fourth bottle now. Um, so <laughs> every it's like every house I am sanitizing my hands and my hands are just wrecked because of it. I think all of ours are. But when I go up to the door, I will ring the doorbell or knock on the door and I will actually step back as far as I can, make sure I'm still in the peephole area. Most people have storm doors or screens, so I will just and I have to speak even louder because of the mask, but I will speak to them and say, hey, I'm here for this uh, to complete a census questionnaire. People have invited me inside and I have advised them against that because it is because I want to lower the contamination risk. Um, but most people have come outside on the porch because most of my work is in the evenings. They would rather get eaten up by mosquitoes than to let all of the bugs in the world inside the house. So have you worked as a census worker back in 2010, or is this your first time? And do you have any fun or interesting stories from your recent census work? Um, this is this is my first census doing this work. Um, I have a couple of friends who worked in 2010. I don't have any uh, stories from them. Uh, I just thought it would be a great opportunity. So I had a really uh, impactful story. Uh, if any of your listeners, like I said, uh, know someone who is homeless or may have been homeless on April 1st, because that's when we're asking all the questions about, it is absolutely important for them to answer the questions, even if they don't have a permanent address. So um, I was enumerating one night and I asked this uh, gentleman if he lived there on April 1st. He said no. I asked him what his address was and he points to his car. Okay, he goes, I lived in my car. I've been homeless for seven years, and this is the first uh, this is the first place I've lived, and I'm finally back on my feet. I said, Wow, that is that's fantastic. Um, and I said, You probably don't know anything about the person who lived there before. Uh, he said, No, but can I still get counted? I said, Absolutely you can. <laughs> and so I went through the interview, asked him questions. He was such a gracious person. Well, before we go out, Dan, would you share any final thoughts, anything that you want to stress how important the census is, Any anything that you can share with us? Oh, man. <laughs> the, more, the, longer I, uh, the longer I enumerate, the more important I, that I see it is. I mean, representation, uh, just knowing that people are there. I mean, I've been to so many communities that I didn't even know existed. And if I don't know they existed, I mean, sure, the government has a record of an address or they may have a record of people, but knowing how many people are in one specific area is just so incredibly helpful. And I just hope that having everyone counted will help get the funds to where they need to be. Um, so I just, I just want everyone to help out as much as they can. Most certainly. If our listeners wanted to learn more about the census, what would you recommend that they do? I think that the easiest thing would be to go 2020census.gov. There is a place where you can start the survey yourself. You can look at the questions they ask. You can even see the reasons why they ask the specific questions. It goes through the it goes through the form question by question. So Everything is there for you. Fantastic, helpful information. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us and talking about this very important topic. It was, it was a delight. Well, thanks. I 
again, I'm just happy that I can share this, uh, this good information with everyone. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Jagishi and I love chatting with our local Missourian authors, so we're happy to welcome our next guest. Laura Miller is a national best-selling novelist, and her latest, The Dream, is an Amazon number one bestseller and now available. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. With, with, the, uh, with the intro in mind, could, can you speak a little bit about yourself? Give us a little bio? Uh, sure. Um, I grew up in the Berger River Bottoms on a farm. Uh, went to New Haven High School, which is a small town about an hour west of Kirkwood. Uh, I graduated from Mizzou with a degree in newsprint journalism. And from there, I worked as a reporter at several papers in Missouri and then down in South Carolina. Um, I ran on the track team at Mizzou, and that's where I met my husband. And um, he's actually a native of Sunset Hill and went to Viani High School. So we're really familiar with the area. Now we live in Kansas City. And I write a small town type of camp romance. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So can you tell, since you're, since you write romances, can you tell us a little bit about your latest title, The Dream? Sure. Um, all my novels surround um, settings that are small town areas. I'm obviously from a small town, so they have a special place in my heart. And um, The Dream is no different. It's about a 17-year-old boy who goes to live on a family farm. And his only role is that he has to stay away from the farmer's three daughters. He, of course, ends up breaking that rule and um, falls in love with the oldest daughter. When the the farmer, the father, eventually finds out that they have relationships, the boys promptly ask to leave. And uh, the book there picks up five years later, and the oldest daughter runs into the boy again from her past. And um, they quickly find out that their love is still forbidden but this time for a different reason. And I don't want to give too much more away and give away the ending, but I will say nothing is as it seems in the dream. Oh, very nice. So I like that about romance, because romance is such, such an interesting genre to write in, because there's always, I mean, you have sort of your your framework that you have to start with. You know, you have your, your two characters who fall in love, and then the requirement of the HEA, and then it's just a matter of how they get to that happily ever after. Right, right. So I like the way you put it. There's there's a mystery to it. So always intriguing. There, there is a mystery. And it all depends on, on what someone perceives as a happily ever after in romance, and especially with this one. So it's a little different than my previous novels, but um, I think it has a happily ever after. So you'll have to decide reading it, I guess. Well, speaking of previous novels, I believe The Dream is your eighth? It is my eighth novel. Um, I do have also a book of poetry and um, a children's book called uh, Pay It Forward that's about um, farm and woodland animals that go around doing simple acts of kindness. So, yeah. Sounds a good lesson to teach children and adults. (laughs) Right, (laughs) and adults. (laughs) Uh, Well, then it's fair to say that you've been writing books for a while. What advice (laughs) would you have for an aspiring authors? I would say... The best advice that I can give aspiring authors uh, is the advice that I got when I started writing my first novel back in 2008, and that was the simple words of just start writing. The rough draft doesn't have to be pretty. Rough drafts aren't pretty. Your your book comes together in the second, third, fourth, fifth draft, so don't worry about that. Just start writing. Start writing today. Um, I have so many people come up to me that say they have a story they want to write, a novel they want to tell, 
and um, they say they just don't have the time. And I would encourage you to make the time, start start writing, start the first sentence, and just don't stop until you're finished. And uh, really, that's the biggest hurdle. With publishing tools today, it's so much more plausible to get your work shared with the world than it was 20 years ago. Your biggest hurdle is really just write it. Start writing. Start writing today. Good advice. Yep. Good advice. Yep. Good advice. I agree. So what's next? Uh, can we get a sneak peek on what you're working on for your next novel? Sure. Yeah. I am working on another small town, second chance romance, um, about a couple in their 20s. So that's more short term, um, 2021. More long term, I'm working on a, a another small town romance, but this time with interracial characters. Um, my husband is Jamaican. I'm German. So it's a story that I've always wanted to write, just haven't done it yet. That's also on um, the list to do. Um, and then poetry, I'm always, I, I've fallen in love with poetry and so um, always working on, on new poems and things like that. So if you don't mind me asking, would you mind reading us a poem and maybe we can close off the interview with one of your poems? Uh, sure, yeah, I can do that. So being from Missouri, what is your favorite place in our fair state? That is a good question. Um, being from the St. Louis area, me and my husband are have a special place in our hearts for St. Louis, of course. Um, like I said, he's from South County. My mom's from South City. Uh, we love the diverse culture in the St. Louis area. We love the food team. Even though I'm in forever royal country now, um, we'll always love the Cardinals. We'll always root for them in the blues. So um, definitely St. Louis has a special place in our hearts. Um, but also, I write small town romances for a reason. I love small towns. I might be a little biased with that, but um, I think there's just a romantic quality about them and that everybody really does know your name and they know your grandparents' name. And eventually it becomes this strange little big family after a while. And it's just, it's just a peaceful place and a great place to grow up. I think that's why I center my novels around small towns, especially the ones that I'm familiar with. So definitely St. Louis area and small towns in Missouri. <laughs> I'll give a shout out to small towns in Missouri. I, I too grew up in a very rural area about an out, or outside of St. Louis and there's uh, a lot I miss about it. I miss the peace or the quiet. Right. It, is quiet. <laughs> it is never quiet in the city. <laughs> never. <No. laughs> what small town are you from? Uh, I grew up in Cedar Hill, uh, yeah, okay. which is about 45 miles south. Okay. Where I am these days. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's out in Jefferson County, near oh, okay. the Franklin County line. Right, right, right. New Haven's in Franklin County. So, yeah. Right. We're close. <laughs> <laughs> Being librarians, we love this question. What are you currently reading, or what do you recommend that we should be reading? Oh, gosh. Okay. That's a good one, too. Um, I am currently reading I Just Started Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I know that's kind of an odd choice during this time, but it, would, it just so happened to come up. <laughs> 2020 just so happened to come up on my list. So I'm reading about a pandemic in a pandemic. So just started that one. I'm finishing up uh, The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. Started also Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, which is very interesting. And I would recommend that everyone read it because it's about the apartheid in, in South Africa. Very, very interesting. I will second that recommendation. That's a fantastic book. Right, right. And it's been on my list for a while. I'm just now starting it. But yep. Um, I have a list of recommendations. Just a couple of my favorites. Do you guys want 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Princess, I recommend by Jean Sassoon. Of course, White Oleander by Janet Pitt and The Color of Water by James McBride um, are really good things I think that everyone should take a look at. But yeah. yeah, absolutely. Especially White Oleander. I definitely enjoyed that book. Right. Mm-hmm. Me too. But yeah, I have a longer list. Well, it's, it's a good list. Definitely full of must-reads. So if anybody wanted to learn more about Laura Miller or the books that she has written, what would you recommend that they do? You can start by going to my website at lauramillerbooks.com. You can find all my books there, especially um, just kind of uh, excerpts. And I have a blog on there. You can read more about what I have coming up next. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at author Laura Miller. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at author Laura Miller. And on Twitter, I'm lauramiller01. Our guest today was best-selling novelist Laura Miller. You can enjoy The Dream at your Kirkwood Public Library or wherever books are sold. Laura, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it so much. And before we all leave, we're, you're in for a treat. Laura is going to share with us one of her poems. So, Laura, please take it away. Um, this poem is entitled Spring. I've forgotten the way your skin felt to my fingertips. I've lost the sensation of your lips. I can't remember the sound of your voice. I hear it only in a whisper now. As the doe shakes off her winter coat, I've lost you. I've lost you in the winter. It's spring now, and I can't remember what it's like to be you. Very lovely. Thank you. So being unable to travel, I got to thinking about some of my past vacations. And recently, I was in England, specifically Bath, outside the Jane Austen Center. So did you know that Jane Austen influenced our language? I would say that she is the queen of modern slang. Is she now? Well, that is quite the claim. Back it up, Jagisha. Well, let's take the phrase, brace yourself. A commonly used one, certainly. It came from the book Emma was when it was first introduced. Really? I did not brace sufficiently for that information. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) and puns aside... (laughs) But can you do more than just that? Oh, I've got a few more. There's breakfast room. Well, I don't know if I use the word breakfast room or not. Perhaps my place needs more rooms. Dinner party? That I do use and have gone to a few dinner parties. Dog tired? Have used that as well. Specifically, I'm sure we all feel that way at the end of the podcast. No, we're, no we don't. Not at all. <laughs> Doorbell? Have one of those. Dress a salad. Uh, I am particularly fond of a good Caesar. Then I am pretty sure you have done this at least once in your lifetime. Take a family portrait. By camera, yes. By painting, no. Here's one of the more popular ones that we hear often. Shut up. Shut up. She didn't invent shut up. Well, not quite in the context you're thinking. Her context was he was shut up with him for several hours. Oh, like locked in. Locked in, yes. Interesting. Well, I think we should just skip the recommendations section this week because I'm in the mood to go read some uh, Pride and Prejudice. Finally, he's going to read a romance novel. (laughs) I can't (laughs) wait to find out what other idioms she created. So onward to Pride and Prejudice, Emma, Sense and Sensibility, and all the fantastic works from Jane Austen. Yes, and we have them all here at the Kirkwood Public Library.
So Kirkwood Ryan has gone off to read his Jane Austen book. I believe it's he's really good. I believe he's reading Emma. I am. But first, I'd like to thank our guest Dan Brower and author Laura Miller for being on the podcast. And I shall leave you with a quote by Jane Austen. I declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book. See you next time.